0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney.
1: Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, and that is of course Marvel Entertainment. We're recording this on Tuesday, September 24th, which is just a few days after the Indie Disney Meet, which was held at the Hamilton County uh, 4H Fairgrounds in Noblesville, Indiana this past Saturday and I apologize. I was supposed to be at this charity event, which benefits the Give the Kids the World uh, Village in Kissimmee, Florida. But uh, late last week, Nancy and I caught this genuinely horrible summer cold, which I'm still dealing with, by the way. And but anyway, speaking of which, you were there along with with Dan Zayer, my co-host from Looking at Lucasfilm. So, how was the Indie Disney meet?
0: it was a riotous good time i just claimed to be drew taylor the whole time so i could behave with reckless abandon ah. and then he could get all the complaints and okay. uh, dan backed me up on that so okay. yeah any any hate mail that we start getting in for <laughs> drew specifically i may or may not have had something to do with that okay. but it was a very very good time well
1: i'm glad to hear that and again i'm, I'm, I'm so so sorry that nancy and i Missed this? Thanks again for for Dan and Erin for in, and I'll definitely try to make it out to Indiana next year. And okay, folks, so we're back on the horse here with with the marvelous Disney podcast, and you and I were just talking about stuff that's gone on over the past two weeks since we've last recorded, and it's sometimes frustrating because something will, will pop up, you go, "Ooh, that looks amazing," and then that's not really a thing. Well, you were talking about what?
0: the well, Yeah, one of the animators, well, not animators, but one of the artists who does uh, pre-visualization type artwork for the movies, uh, for the MCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just had a, a wild hair one day to go do some artwork of what he thought the Fantastic Four would look like, if they were introduced into the MCU with an MCU kind of style. And then, like, the next day he released one of what the X-Men might look like, and, you know, Wolverine was wearing his traditional yellow uh, suit and whatnot. So, internet starts going abuzz, and, oh, is this what the X-Men are going to look like and and the Fantastic Four are going to look like when they come into the MCU? And it's like, no, not really. It was just one of the artists that had a wild hair to go go and try something and use his talents to explore creative ideas
1: moments like that occasionally jog your adrenaline and then kind of break your heart but conversely though that there's also times when things get dropped on the internet that turn out to actually have some some basis in reality and about uh the spider-man three noid uh news right
0: yeah, so there's some mild speculation about the, the villains now, and there's the possibility, if, if this rumor has any merit to it whatsoever, that Sony would be looking at Craven the Hunter, mm-hmm. which we've talked about before and would be a very cool villain to, to plop into the Spidey-verse. And then also the Scorpion Mm -hmm. and the Scorpion was featured in the end credit scene with the vulture in prison. He was the guy on the boat that got kind of tossed off the boat. Uh, He was one of the criminals that was helping out vulture and Spider-Man homecoming. Mm -hmm. So it would seem like that's actually a very smart move for Sony. If they're using Tom Holland as the main thread to stay, you know, somehow tangentially connected to the MCU, if they were to use another character or another uh, villain that's already been shown or glimpsed like the Scorpion was, then that's just one more thread that ties them back into the MCU without having to be officially in the MCU. And so supposedly the idea behind having two villains in the next movie is so they can just hurry up and finally get to a Sinister Six movie. And if they did that, we've got Vulture still in prison. We'd have a Scorpion. We'd also have a Craven the Hunter. If Mysterio's dead, then he doesn't count. So we've only got three villains. And if they want to use Morbius, the living vampire, and also use Venom to throw in there, well, you're up to five. Mm-hmm. You would only need one more villain for a Sinister Six by the time you get to Spider-Man 4. So depending on how they play it, they could throw it together, possibly.
1: Okay, okay. and it's worth noting here that back in July as part of the press four, far from home, John Watts went on the record that he'd love to use Craven uh, the Hunter as a villain, you know, in an upcoming film. So this might actually be a thing. Uh, speaking of Spider-Man Far From Home, though, the digital version of this film came out a week ago on the 17th. And you picked up a copy of that, uh, Aaron, right? As soon as
0: the clock struck midnight, I was watching it.
1: So watch the movie, watch the extra features, that sort of thing. Anything leap out at you this time around
0: or? Well, instead of watching the movie, I jumped to the midway point just so I could get my Mysterio scene Ah. out of the way, right away. And then, Mm -hmm. and then after that, I went uh, directly to special features Mm -hmm. and there were a lot of, Really good special features that I enjoyed, but I always want more. I'm a gluttonous pig, so I'm always craving more. Mm-hmm. And there are some movies where you get special features and it totals up to like maybe 15 minutes of additional stuff. This was a lot, a lot longer than that. So they did have a, a good wealth of material for the extra feature viewing. I think it was a, a good addition to the collection. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you enjoyed the movie then, and you like the extra features, I think you you got your money's worth. Well, speaking of getting your money's worth,
1: just this past week, we got the sizzle reel that Kevin Feige showed at Comic-Con back in July as part of the Hall H presentation at San Diego. But this was evidently the first overall trailer for the Infinity Saga. And what Kevin talked about, someday soon there's going to be these amazing mega box set of all 23 of these films. You know, include phase one, phase two, phase three, plus all sorts of cutscenes, alternate takes, that sort of thing. So it sounds like, Aaron, you're never going to be able to leave the house
0: when this thing comes out. I've already got all the films. I I don't need another copy of them in a different box.
1: I get that. But then just last week, we had that alternate take of the post-credit scene from the original Iron Man drop where here's you know Samuel Jackson playing Nick Fury for the first time and we get that alternate take of his introductory dialogue where he talks about mutants and radioactive spider bites and and it was one of these things where it's like you listen to that and you you realize that this is Kevin Feige from the very first film Swinging for the Fences that My God, he is talking about this giant universe that, frankly, is impossible at this point. Because, again, the X-Men are owned by Fox and Spider-Man's over at Columbia and here is Iron Man being released by Paramount. But, to my knowledge, that scene isn't in any of the versions of Iron Man, the the original from 2008, that have ever come out on Blu-ray or HD or anything like that. Would that be enough to get you to, you know, the notion of you know, we have lots of, of great little things like that. Would that be enough for you to spring for this mega box?
0: I, I don't think I should have to pay several hundred dollars or whatever the price tag ends up being to get mm-hmm. the extra, like, five extra minutes of content or whatever it is. Now, they should package it for the, the people who've been buying the uh, discs all along they should sell one disc that just has all of the extra content that's on those other 20 discs Mm -hmm. that they're reselling all over again and go here for 20 bucks, you won't be missing anything except the box itself. Mm -hmm. And that way you can buy that for 20 bucks and go, okay, now I've got that one extra scene from Iron Man where he mentions radioactive spider. Now I feel complete, but I really don't think that I would, spend anything to buy all of those movies all over again because my main fear is I don't know what the price tag is but Disney will probably price it to where Iron Man 1 is a brand new movie like at $20 so if it's all you know 20 some movies at a $20 price tag that's a $400 box set Mm -hmm. if you're getting a discount because they've been out for a decade now and it's only a $100 box set or a $150 box set I might be a little bit more ready to to buy into that but again if i'm buying disney plus it better be there right if it's not there then (laughs) i mean then i feel cheated on the disney plus level all of a sudden so i can only give them my money so many different ways
1: (laughs) you bring up a very interesting point but you know the fascinating thing is as we're sitting here talking here i opened my email and at four o'clock this afternoon i got a press release from walt disney studios home entertainment and They're talking about how 101 Dalmatians and Sleeping Beauty are now available in what's known as the Disney Signature Collection. There's been the Platinum Collection and... The Diamond... Yeah, and it just... But this honestly is Disney's business plan or has been for years, that every seven years, Disney would take a film out of the vault and put it in theaters. And now it's... And every couple of years it's like, okay, what's the, how has the format changed? and And I think you're right. When it comes to Disney plus, you know, the whole notion is, look, I'm paying you what seven dollars a month, something to that effect. yeah in you know, order to have access to this giant library. Why do I have to pay you know to get these five additional minutes? I'm, I'm, I, don't get me wrong, a very cool footage, but,
0: I'm certain there'll be a very lovely collectible that will be attached to that. Like a it'll all come inside of a life size Thanos helmet. <laughs> you know, you've gotta use a wheelbarrow to get it to your car, but I guess so.
1: Speaking, however, of of cutscenes and that sort of thing, there's been a lot of discussion lately about how Robert Downey Jr. is supposed to pop up in Black Widow. And so you know, Everyone was so excited about that, and it, I guess just today the news broke. It's like, well, yeah, he is. He's, he's definitely in the movie. But the downside is they've been able to repurpose a cut scene from Captain America Civil War, which I guess was shot back in the summer of 2015. And evidently, this is a scene where Tony Stark is telling Natasha, who's at this point in the original Civil War, is beginning to waver In her resolve in regard to the sokovia accords but it's a flashback scene that's somehow going to be shoehorned into the storyline of this kate shortland
0: movie i like that you use the word shoehorned because that's how i feel about it Mm -hmm. tony died i'm okay with that i I grieved Mm -hmm. and then he shows back up in spider-man somehow Mm -hmm. now he's going to show up on camera again even though it's from a deleted scene it's like can you just let it go already he doesn't have to be in every single movie Mm-hmm. And I know they're you know, trying to tie it back to Civil War mm-hmm. when she ends up flipping sides again.
1: Marvel Studios has made so much money off of films that are interconnected in some way, that are telling a, a bigger story. In fact, Vanity Fair ran an article last week. They talked with two executives from Disney+, Plus, uh, an Agnes Chu, and I want to say a Ricky Strauss. And they were talking about how exactly these exclusive series, these limited things that Marvel Studios is doing for Disney+, Plus, are actually going to click in. These two actually went on the record about that. And, for example, very first one out the door is going to be Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I wish we had a release date at this point. They're still only saying 2020. But Agnes went on record to say that what happens in this Disney Plus series is going to have implications for the Marvel Cinematic Universe to come. So... It's going to be a really interesting experience for a Marvel fan, or or and what's interesting is they differentiate between a Marvel fan and a general entertainment fan to go between seeing a Marvel movie in theaters, then watching a Disney Plus series uh, like Falcon and the Winter Soldier at home to get more than informs their overall theatrical experience. And then Ricky, following up on what what Agnes said, and on the Marvel Cinematic Universe side of things, characters from the movies will migrate directly off the screen onto the streaming platform. So, where Endgame left off with those characters, like Wanda and Vision and Falcon of the Winter Soldier, these are now going to be series exclusively for Disney Plus that are episodic takes on what could have been a movie but it's the exact same theatrical team that's working on
0: these limited series. So it sounds like they're really, really, really hyping everything they said they were going to do with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that other stuff, where it's going to be tied right into the movies, guys. Isn't that just mind-blowing? And then it didn't quite work out. Quite as well as they hoped, and now they've got Disney Plus, and they're like, no, but for real, guys, this time it's going to be tied into the movies. Isn't that going to be mind blowing? And it's like, yeah, we we tried that once before. You had a swing and a miss. Now we're back for round two. I'm giving you seven bucks to see if you pull it off. And I, I'm not. I mean, I'm glad that they're going to be doing it. I'm on board with everything that you know you described in that little bit of literature that they sent out through the propaganda department, but. <laughs> The, the fact was they tried it once and now I'm paying for them to try it again. And I I'm more confident because it's Marvel Studios in control of that bit instead of ABC television that, that it's going to be more linked at the hip because they're all working together from that same core group of people. So, yeah, you better pull it off this time, because if you don't, I'm going to be really disappointed with you.
1: Oh, Aaron, 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 Bob Iger is not going to be happy with you. And speaking of Mr. Iger, when Aaron and I get back from this commercial break, we're going to talk a bit about uh, his brand new book, The Ride of a Lifetime, which just hit sore shelves yesterday. Just yesterday, Random House released the R- Rite of Lifetime. Bob Iger's look back on the lessons he's learned over the past 15 years, which was when Iger served as the CEO of the Walt Disney Company. Disney today isn't Disney. It's Fox. It's, it's Marvel. It's Lucasfilm. It's Pixar. It's ESPN. It's ABC. And as Bob explains, one human being can't run all of these things, can't be present in all of these places. There's just enough. And not enough time in the day. So you have to be strategic. And so he talks about that after Disney did the Marvel deal, he stood in front of a whiteboard in the conference room at the Team Disney building in Burbank for five days. And he proceeded to write down every single asset that the Disney company owned. And then once he had that list, he started grouping them and he started putting people into these groups. And he was trying to figure out how the hell am I going to manage all this? And what he wound up doing is he set up this group of nine people who now report to him about various divisions of the company. One manages all movies from Fox, Disney, Pixar, the lot. There's one guy in charge of all of television. There's one guy in charge of ESPN. Uh, one guy, this guy we know, Bob Chapek, who runs the parks and consumer products. There are then four other people who report to him about traditional businesses at Disney, and that kind of fascinates me because I wonder what those are. And then they have one guy who's in charge of the technology side of Disney, uh, how they're distributing all of this content globally. And then the usual human resources, legal, finance. And that's it. Nine people who report to him. And that's how Disney operates every day.
0: Now, I just want to say, as you've been describing all these departments, Mm -hmm. I know this is inaccurate Mm -hmm. factually. However... I imagine that Bob Iger is at the very, very tippy top of the Disney castle, the little Cinderella castle. And then all of these other departments are just other spires Mm. off of the castle. And that's their office building. Nobody knows it, but they just kind of go, you know, down some stairs and then back up to a spire. And there's this really narrow office. And Bob's at the very top. and He's like, so human resources, what do you got for me?
1: (laughs) All right. So are uh, carrying through with, with that image. So, what little chipmunks are scurrying around carrying yeah. memos, right? Yeah, you know, just totally. Like, and occasionally a deer wanders in with a cup of coffee for him. That's
0: okay. Exactly. I, and I know there's a force perspective, so physically they probably can't even fit in those spires, but I'm uh. going to imagine it anyway. Okay. Through the magic of Disney, they shrink uh. down as they oh. g- climb higher and higher.
1: Oh. <laughs> okay. I love a good pop-the-hood moment <laughs> as much as anyone, and I don't think that's actually how Disney World, I But again, Aaron, now that you've described it, I kind of want it to be real. Yeah, totally. But anyway, I mean, I, seriously, if you you like behind-the-scenes stories, Ride of the Lifetime is definitely worth picking up. It, at the very least, for the insight into how the Marvel deal actually happened. And you know, on the heels of the Pixar acquisition, In January of 2006, Iger, who who literally has just been installed as the new CEO of Disney for four months at that point, he's got a different vision for the company. And so he's talking with folks like Kevin Meyer and Tob Staggs about on the heels of the Pixar deal and what that did to the company and how that re-energized feature animation and all that. They put together a list of what they call acquisition targets that would help them with what they view as the new priorities for the company, which are to increase the amount of high quality branded content that Disney creates and how that will allow them to break sort of the walls of the way Disney is defined in the modern world. So they start by focusing on intellectual property, like who possesses great IP that could have applications across the full range of Disney's businesses. And Two companies immediately came to mind, and one was Marvel Entertainment, and the other one was Lucasfilm. Both of these companies have a trove of compelling characters and stories that could plug in easily to Disney's movie, theme park, television, and consumer products business. There were other companies on the list, but none of them as valuable as Marvel and Star Wars. And, and what's kind of interesting about what Iger shares in this book is he talks about the first time Marvel was on Disney's radar, and this was actually when Michael Eisner was still chairman and CEO of the Walt Disney Company. Bob describes an early staff lunch that he had with Eisner, where he floated the idea of Disney acquiring Marvel, and there was this handful of executives around the table who objected, and the reason they objected was they felt that Marvel was just too edgy. If they brought that company on
0: board, it would tarnish the Disney brand. Well, Marvel characters, they punch and they kick and they fight. That's conflict. That's mm-hmm. all they're built around is conflict. Okay. Uh, Humanity tried to wipe out the X-Men over and over because they were different. That doesn't really sound like a Disney thing when you look at the face value of it right off the bat, Mm -hmm. especially if you go back a few decades and you don't have all of the MCU movies that have made it so much more valuable than... I mean, remember, Marvel used to be going broke. That's why they sold off Spider-Man was for some money. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're in the predicament they're in now with Sony and and Spidey. But yeah, Marvel used to not be worth a whole lot. And now they're worth a, a whole bunch because oh, yeah. you know Disney brought them on board, but it also took that different mentality of how they're going to use them and and what it really means in in this day and age. They are literally in the final stages of the
1: acquisition, and we, we'll get to how that that happened in a moment. But Iger at this point is actually concerned about what happens when Disney acquires. Marvel from the Marvel side of the fence. Uh, now he's suddenly worried about. Well, what about the Marvel sur- super fans? Are they going to be upset that Disney is acquiring uh, Marvel? He actually talked about how. What if we lose that audience? You have to understand that it was also the key creative people at Marvel who were also kind of nervous about this deal, and Iger had to sit down with them and it said, "Look, you know, it doesn't make any sense for Disney to buy you for what you are." And then turn you into something else. We're just going to let Marvel be Marvel, just like we did. We let Pixar be Pixar. But, you know, when they brought up the idea, there were a number of people at, at Disney who were just hesitant about it because it's like, well, look, you know, it's Marvel is contractually obligated to all these other studios. I mean, Paramount's going to be releasing this new set of movies that starts with Iron Man. The movie rights to Spider Man, you know, have long been sold to Columbia. The Incredible Hulk is controlled by Universal and X-Men and Fantastic Four are over at Fox. You know, and it's just like, these are the top tier sets of characters. And, you know, if we acquire Marvel, isn't there going to be some brand confusion? Because we're not making the X-Men movies It's Foxes. Never mind about the deal with Universal for the theme park rights. But from Iger's point of view, it's like, look, it's this amazing set of characters, and let's see if we can maybe get our hands on them. But for the first half of 2008, they try to reach out to Ike Perlmutter, the CEO of Marvel. And, but the thing is, Ike is this legendarily tough, reclusive character. He's a former Israeli military guy. And Aaron, some of the details in, in Iger's book about this guy, I mean, evidently Ike never peers out in public or allows photographs of himself to be taken. We're just trying to set up a meeting. We're trying to meet with the guy, and he won't return a phone call. He won't answer a letter. They finally have to find, I think his name was David Mazel, who was a former Disney guy who was working at Marvel, and they
0: got him to be the go-between. He went to go sit on a park bench, drew a little X with a piece of chalk, left a half of a ham sandwich upside down, and then went away for three hours, came back, and there he was.
1: You are surprisingly close to how this actually did go down. Finally, Iger gets a call like, okay, Ike, will meet with you. But because he's still such a cagey character, Iger goes by himself. He doesn't take any of the Disney executives with him. He flies to Manhattan. He goes to... Marvel Headquarters, which is this very pedestrian space that is highly, highly, highly controlled by Ike. I don't want to say that he's notoriously cheap, but have you ever heard the stories about how Permutter actually fished paper clips out of the trash?
0: Because it was like, you can still use that. I worked for him. Really? For about a decade, I worked for a guy like that. He we once asked for batteries, and it, they were from, like, the 80s, and it was just a cardboard box leaking acid. He's, no, those are still good. You can use those. Try them. Try them. Touch them to your tongue. See if you get a little shock there. Oh, that means they're working. Like, no, that means acid is leaking on my tongue. Holy I God. can no longer taste salt. Thank you. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> well, I, so, so Iker goes to the these offices in Midtown Manhattan. And he he describes, you know, that Ike's place of business is Spartan. You know, that he goes into the office, a very small desk, a handful of chairs, a table, and a lamp. Nothing expensive, no sweeping views of the city. Nothing in this room tells you that you were dealing with the CEO of a major entertainment company. And this is their first meeting, so Ike's a little wary of Bob. He's not cold or uninviting, you know, but. But as Iger sits down to talk with him, Ike's idea of hospitality is he offers Bob a glass of water and a banana. As he's handing the banana, you know, Ike goes, these are from Costco. My wife and I shop there on weekends. And that's how it got started. The most interesting part of the story is the weird role that Steve Jobs at Pixar played in making it possible for Disney to acquire Marvel. And they'd had a couple of dinner meetings. Iger was trying to, to sort of sell them on the idea that, look, we'll let Marvel be Marvel, but you'll have the entire Disney marketing machine and our parks and consumer products. There'll be the supercharged engine behind Marvel from this point forward. But again, you guys stay in control and, you know, you can continue with this new line of movies you're starting and on that sort of thing. But. Ike was still on the fence. You know, he didn't really know Iger. And finally, Bob did this very interesting thing and said, all right, we'll tell you what, I'm going to reach out to Steve Jobs and have him give you a call. He and I have been working closely since January of 2006 with Pixar, and they can tell you about how we handled that deal. Iger goes back to California. He calls Steve Jobs and says, hey, can can you call Ike Perlmutter? And you know, Ike's an old school, school guy, but he still knows who Steve Jobs is. He still knows what Apple is. And the fact that, you know, Steve Jobs out of the blue called him and said, hey, you know, we've been working with Disney for two years now, and we love this deal. They let us be us. They don't do any interference. They give us all sorts of support, and it's worked out beautifully. And So again, remember, we had our first conversation in June of 2009 and by August 31st, there was a deal in place, $4 billion to acquire Marvel and here we are. The financial community initially really pushed back and the Disney stock price dropped by 3% that day. And when they asked members of the investment community why, it's like, Disney bought Marvel without Spider-Man and the biggest characters. That's nuts.
0: Well, you have to kind of get the base before you can get the uh, periphery characters because with Hulk at Universal and Mm -hmm. and Fantastic Four and the X-Men and Spider-Man all at different locations, it wouldn't make sense to go do this huge battle to just go grab the Fantastic Four first Mm -hmm. and then go grab the X-Men no, you, you grab Marvel, which is the bulk of almost everything. A- mm-hmm. And then you grab the individual team ups and, and characters that are left over after that. You know, maybe, maybe Fox will not do so well when they make their 13th Fantastic Four reboot and they'll finally give up on it and let the rights expire. And
1: in a weird sort of way, there was such a huge roll of the dice. And in fact, I think about here we are, you know, September of 2019, where the big story is that Disney doesn't have Spider-Man anymore for its
0: Marvel movies. So
1: I, I just kind of fascinated, Aaron, how, how little things have changed over the past decade. So
0: Well, some things have changed because back in the day before the Disney Marvel deal, I was very, very against it. Mm-hmm. Very adamantly against it. I would shake my fist and spit venom. Patoo, patoo. Mm-hmm. I, and I thought that the characters wouldn't be as cool. They'd get Mickey-fied. Mm -hmm. I would use Mickey like it was a derogatory term. Mm -hmm. They get all Mickey-fied and and fuzzy and warm and cute. And, you know, we don't want that. We want to have our intergalactic space battles and and whatever with all the superpowers and the violence and the blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And here we are all these many years later, and I'm totally on board with that. Whatever they want to do, go ahead and do it. I've been very entertained thus far. Why stop now, right? So I've completely done a 180 on my whole viewpoint from back then.
1: Well, speaking of uh, very entertaining, I mean, uh, what I've read so far of this Random House book, right of a Lifetime, it's it's a wonderful look at the past fifteen years at Disney, and and I just gotta warn you folks in advance: we'll, we'll be talking about Pixar-related stuff. Drew Taylor and I will be doing that over fine-tuning. Likewise, obviously, Dan Zare and I uh, will be looking at the Star Wars acquisition by way of Bob Iger's point of view. With on our next looking at Lucasfilm, the one guy who won't be talking about this book with uh, be Dustin Fuse, the guy I do the universal joint podcast with and forgive the shameless plug here. And, but Dustin and I do have that event coming up. The the holiday event uh, that we're doing at the universal Orlando resort, November 15th through the 18th. Uh, we're going to be taking theme park fans on a walking tour of uh, universal studios, Florida. Uh, likewise, Island's adventure. we are going to be doing a lot of seasonal specific stuff like, taking in a presentation of the Universal Holiday Parade featuring Macy's, not to mention uh, the Grinchman's Hulibration Celebration of Islands. As part of a walking tour, we're going to be sharing uh, all sorts of behind-the-scenes stories on the creation of the Universal Orlando Resort, and people are also going to get to sit in On a live recording of the universals joint podcast
0: and along with that we're also going to be uh doing another exciting little thing that we haven't done yet before in the past we're doing a little contest we're giving away a three night stay at universal so you can join jim and dustin at the event you just have to tweet a keyword directly at jim hill media what's the keyword it's a really good question you would have to listen to the most recent Universal joint podcast to find out because it's buried somewhere within all that rich, gooey content. There's a keyword and if you can pluck it out and direct message it to Jim Hill Media, you can get entered into that drawing for a three night stay at Universal with Jim and Dustin from Universal Joint.
1: And, and again, folks, just to remind you, that's supposed to be a direct message to at uh, Jim Hill Media. Obviously, I entered the drawing. Also, the winner will be responsible for their own travel accommodations. None of this would be possible without the kind folks at Storybook Destinations. Please head over to StorybookDestinations.com We can learn more. Again, the, the, this is going to be held. Right there at the resort, November 15th through the 18th.
0: Drawing will be held Wednesday, October 16th, and we're going to tweet to our lucky winner who will then be awarded tickets to the park and then a hotel room for the length of the Universal Joint event. Again, you've got to find your own way to the park. That is key. We don't want anyone to be confused on that.
1: Official rules for the contest post over at jimhillmedia.com. But again, uh, speaking of our podcast here, in addition to the Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse, we got... Disney Dish with Lentesto. We got I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. We've got Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor and Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Zare. And of course, the podcast you're listening to right now, The Marvelous Disney Show. Please head over to iTunes and rate rent, recommend the show. And I guess for now, that's going to do it, Aaron. Anything else Marvel-related that we we, we missed
0: er, for this week? Good night, Gracie. <laughs> Right to the punchline. Don't even need the setup. (laughs) Good night, folks. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.